Thank you, children of our Alleluia Choir, for opening our service in such a joyful way. Good morning, friends. Welcome to our 830 service on this, the third Sunday of Lent. Uh, I, I should say to those of you that made it into the room between rain, cold, time change, you get extra credit. And those of you at home, you get extra credit for getting the hour and tuning in. So it's good to be together in God's house. Uh, my name is James Howell. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. Some of you are visiting with us today. And you really get extra credit uh, for making it. We're honored that you would come, and we hope that you'll leave us some kind of contact information on the pew pad or the QR code or something. We'd love to begin to have a conversation with you, get to know one another. That would mean a lot to me and to all of us. Uh, I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. Friends, we want to make sure you know what is happening in the life of the church, so make sure you take a look at our This Week at Myers Park that's tucked inside your bulletin. I know we love to recycle our bulletins here, but guess what? You can take this one home. So make sure you hold on to it and take it home and put things on your calendars. I want to draw your attention to um, a special event that we have coming up on March 20th with author Karen Gonzalez um, that will be happening at 7 p.m. and if she is the author of the book Beyond Welcome. You'll want to make sure that you come and join us for that special event. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. worship a God who knows everything about us and loves us all the more. Friends, let us release to God those things that may separate us from experiencing the fullness of God's love. Please join me in the prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is John chapter 4, beginning with the fifth verse. So he came to a city of Samaria, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. I um, I love the Bible, kind of despite itself. There's so much in the Bible that is um, hard. It's weird. It's not quite a page turner. Uh, it can be a real challenge. At the same time, I love it because you run into encounters like this one that are so um, tender, so hopeful, so intimate. No, it's wonderful. Uh, Jesus, at the beginning of the story, he's thirsty. And I love that. Uh, Jesus shared in our needs, in our brokenness. He's been on a long journey. He, he's thirsty. He's parched with thirst. Uh, he will be thirsty later in the story when he's hanging on the cross. Jesus thirsts. He's just traveled on foot a very long way. And I, I love, uh, if you haven't been to Israel, you, you may not catch this. When I take people, uh, they always notice this. It said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. The, we, we read that like, I was going to Knoxville and I had to go through Asheville, right? But it's not like that at all. In the ancient world, when you heard he had to go through Samaria, people would say, mm, I don't think so. That's the hard way to go. The easy way to get from where Jesus was going, from where he had been to where he was going, was most certainly not to go through Samaria. 
I've taken groups there. I took Uyan Kim on a group there years ago. Young clergy, it's hard to get there. A long, winding road, rocky, up and down. It's really difficult. It's difficult today, not just because of the geography, but it's also the most um, endangered part of the West Bank. You may read about the city Nablus now and then, a place of great tension. It was a place of great tension back then. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Tells us something about what he was about. Uh, the Greek word day is, uh, should be translated something like there was a divine necessity that he go through Samaria. It wasn't the easy way like Asheville heading to Knoxville. It was hard for him to get there, but he had to go there. He had to go there. It was hard for him to go there. Sometimes people say to me, it's hard for me to find God. I wonder if it's hard for God to find you. I wonder if it's hard for God to access the troubles of the world. But God doesn't mind if it's hard. Uh, the best line, I think, uh, in the book, The Shack, uh, is the following. Mac is talking to uh, the Jesus character, and he says, um, they're talking about uh, Jesus. He seems like a pretty open-minded kind of guy. So Mac asks him, does that mean that all roads lead to you? And Jesus responds by saying, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere. What it does mean is that I will travel any road to find you. I like that. A lot of roads don't go anywhere, but Jesus will travel any road to find us. Uh, it's noon, the sixth hour, uh, when Jesus is at the well and this uh, woman comes. Uh, I love that uh, Jesus, I mean, a lot of times we think of him speaking to great big crowds, but uh, Jesus' real capital is in one-on-one -on -one encounters, right? He's never thinking, I need to be speaking to 10,000 people. He's interruptible. He can talk to just one. It's one by one by one that matters to Jesus. And here, he, a man, is talking to a woman. We can hold on to the Samaritan stuff for a minute. Jesus, a man, is talking alone with a woman. And when the disciples come up, they're so thick-headed. They've not been around Jesus long enough to understand what he's about. Their minds go to a dark place, and they say, oh, a man is talking to a woman. They do that thing. It's just pathetic. <laughs> and what did the woman think, right? She doesn't know who he is. She comes to the well, and he's there, and he says, um, can I have a drink? I read a commentary this week that asked uh, if she wondered if he might be flirting with her. It's interesting, isn't it? What did she think? This man talking to her, that flirting question made me wonder, what is flirting anyhow? And I got to wondering if flirting isn't uh, sort of a superficial veneer over the craving that we all have for love and tenderness and hoping. It might come from this person. Uh, Jesus talks to the woman. The Bible, so typical even of the Bible. It's part of why it's hard to love the Bible, but I still do. Does not mention her name. So often the case in stories, there's a woman in the Bible talking to a man. We know the man's name, does not supply the woman's name. Ancient world makes you crazy. I will guarantee you, knowing all that Jesus was about, he asked her name, and he used her name when he spoke with her. And then she begins to talk about herself, and I don't know if you can hear the pain in her voice. She says, I have no husband. And then they go on to talk about the fact that she has had five 
husbands. I don't know what the tone of voice is there, but if Jesus is like Jesus, his tone of voice isn't, you've had five husbands. <laughs> Instead, he feels her pain. How did she come to lose five husbands? Were they bereavements? Had some died? Had she been deserted by men? So much pain, there's so much grief. Why did she come to the well at noon? We know in the ancient world, women came to the well to draw water first thing in the morning and at the end of the day. That's when they needed the water, it was cooler. Nobody came to the well at noon, but this woman comes at noon. Why does she come at noon? I would suspect it's because she didn't want to deal with the other women from her village. She couldn't bear their cutting glances. Sometimes people just don't want to be asked about their lives. I was talking to a church member recently. She said, I hate it when it comes to church and people ask, how are you doing? I feel like I just have to make up something. I hate being asked. Maybe she comes at noon just to avoid people. Maybe there's some shame. She can't bear their size. See, she's a Samaritan woman, and all Samaritans were accustomed to being shunned and despised, and she's a Samaritan woman. That's more reason in that world to be despised. And then she's had the five husbands, and is with a man now who is not her husband. So she is despised within the despised within the despised. I can imagine that her eyes probably were trained mostly on the ground that her eyes were trained mostly on the ground. What's beautiful about this story is that Jesus sees her. He hears her. He has no judgment. That's the life skill. That's the church skill that we all hope to master is how to see and hear people and not pass judgment on them. Jesus always sees beyond the surface of people loves them, does not judge them. I did think driving over here this morning, there actually is an exception to this, by the way. And the exception is Jesus seeing everyone and loving them dearly. The, the, the exception is Charlotte drivers. But that's another story. Jesus loves even them. So Jesus uh, encounters this woman. She is despised within the despised within the despised. She, she probably doesn't even look up. I'm inferring all of this. And Jesus asks her for a drink. So interesting, like he's the guy, right? You'd expect him to give her a drink, right? <laughs> but he asked her for a drink. That well, Uyan Kim and I have been to that well. There's a church built over it now. I drank from that well, and Uyan, you drank from that well. It's a remarkable thing. When we drank from that well, I just thought, like Jesus drank from this same water. Jacob drank from this same water. This nameless woman, Jesus knew her name, drank from this same water. And what we noticed that day is it's actually hard to get that water. There's a crank with a rope and the bucket that goes down into the well, and it's 135 feet deep. It's pretty impressive. There was a big strong guy, and he lowered the bucket down there, and then it's full of water, and he raised that thing back. It took a while, and it took muscular exertion. Jesus asked this despised woman to do something that is hard. For him, you would think Jesus would say, let me give you a drink. 
You've had a tough life, but instead he empowers her. He shows her respect. We do this so often. When we encounter people that are poor in our community, we say, oh, we must do something for them. And sometimes when we do things for people, we increase the shame that they already carry. Jesus empowers. He trusts her. He believes that she can do something for him. Jesus always believes that we can do something for him. I've told some of you before the story about Mr. Rogers, um, you know, had his TV show and there was a child, I uh, love this story, who suffered from acute cerebral palsy, was not responsive to much of anything, but his mother did notice that when Mr. Rogers came on the TV, he really paid attention. So she applied and she got a grant from some foundation that uh, paid for Mr. Rogers to come and visit uh, her son confined to this wheelchair and not very responsive and when he came Mr. Rogers visited with him showed him much love and tenderness and then when he was getting ready to go he took the boy's hand and said would you pray for me would you pray for me there was a journalist named Tom Junod who was watching that and when they walked out he said you were very clever to ask that boy to pray for you that was really that was a cool thing that you did <laughs> Of course, Mr. Rogers, never calculating, he said, no, I really wanted him to pray for me. I figure anybody who's suffered as much as he has must be very close to God. You see that not, I'll pray for you, but will you pray for me? I love that. Jesus sees the woman. He knows her full story. He sees beneath the veneer, and, and he loves. He's attentive. He cares. He sees her as a person of immense worth. And she turns and she runs back into the village. You know those villagers never listened to her because she was that despised woman within the despised group. But she went back in and she, she tells them what happened, and they listened to her. Why did they listen to her? Did, did she have a different bearing in herself? Did, did she have... Was she looking up for a change? Did she have a confidence that had been imbued because of her encounter with Jesus? I don't know. Maybe it's because she came in and she told them about what they were themselves desperate for. She told them about mercy. They may have been like most people that you and I know, all bound up in achievement, pretending, maybe self-medicating sometimes, diversions, whatever it is that we do to hold any darkness at bay, whatever we do to cloak our vulnerability. But then you hear there really is mercy. It's not something you earn or achieve. It's just God's gift, and you can't get rid of it. You can't run away from it. There's no road God won't take to find you. And so they come, they're moved, it's what they've all been uh, craving. I think about us, what does this mean for us? Because the story's in the Bible, not just, oh, that was a nice once upon a time story, it wasn't that interesting. The story's in the Bible because God uses that to say, this story holds for you. Jesus knows your full story, better than you do. We get in denial, we have kind of fake versions of our past, don't we? Jesus knows the full story and he loves you as you are. And part of what this means is that he's dealing with our past is that you and I can revisit our past without fear. 
we can be liberated. Our past, whatever it's been, some people have a totally sunny past. They don't know what I'm talking about, but a lot of people in their past have had some wrong turns and some pains and some sorrows and some losses and some just dumb stuff that you've done. I have. We can revisit that, can be healed, can be redeemed. I love Isabel Wilkerson in her great book about caste. She's talking about race in America, and a lot of people don't want to talk about our past there. <laughs> the way she describes it, I love this. She said, when you go to the doctor, they won't treat you until they hand you this clipboard, and you have to fill out family history on all kinds of things. Is there diabetes in your family? Is there arthritis in your family? Is there cancer in your family? Once they know your past, then they know more about how to treat you. Jesus comes to the well at noon, and at noon, there's time that has passed, and there is time to come. I think it's a parable of our lives. Every time we meet Jesus, there's the past. That can be redeemed, but then there is a future because he has come. Here's the last thing. Uh, it's noon. It's the bright light. This is John chapter 4, John chapter 4. I did a lot of research this week on this. John chapter 4 follows John chapter 3. It's, I studied at length in the original Greek and found that. What happens to John chapter 3 is pretty interesting. A guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? At night, not in the light of day. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again in the dark. When you're born, you're in the dark, then you come out into the light. I heard a talk the other day. Uh, they asked me to perform my ornamental function as uh, saying the invocation at the YWCA prayer breakfast. I mean, a luncheon that they had, fundraising luncheon. It was great. This guy named John Jackson gave the talk. I got to tell you, it's the best single talk I have ever heard, maybe anywhere, but certainly at a fundraising luncheon. He was absolutely brilliant. I had in my notes what I want to tell you. First, I'll tell you a joke that he told. It pertains somehow. There was a boy, and his dad was putting him to bed. So he kissed his son on the head, and his son said, Daddy, could, I, could you bring me a drink of water? And he said, Son, you've had plenty of time to drink water. It's time to go to bed now. No. So he, the dad's walking out of the room, and just he's about to close the door. Here's his son, Daddy, could you get me a drink of water? And the father says, son, I, we just talked about this. I told you no water till tomorrow. If you ask me again, I'll have to come back in here and spank you. So he goes out, closes the door. He hears a voice inside, Daddy. He listens. <laughs> the boy says, when you come back in here to spank me, would you bring me a cup of water? And it kind of fits our story, persisting to get the water. Here's what John Jackson said. This is absolutely amazing without knowing what I was going to talk about or mentioning John chapter 3 or chapter 4. He said, once upon a time you were in the dark of your mother's womb, but then you came out into the light. That was good. And then he said this, now that you are out in the light, be the light. I love that. Now that you are out in the light, then be the light. It's always the broken people. It's always the wounded people. It's always those who are vulnerable. It's always those who know what human pain is about, who are able to make a difference to other people, who are able to love other people, who are able to embrace and enfold other people. They're the ones who know. I mean, what happens in the story, you have a man and a woman, and they become friends. You have a Jew and a Samaritan, and they become friends. I mean, if we could multiply that over and over all over the world, a lot of individuals would be healed, but our world would be such a different place. It'd be such a different place. You see, it's in the water. Water's amazing. When I drank from that well, I thought, you know, Jesus drank 
from this water. Jacob drank from this water. The fact is, all of you have drunk from that same water. Some scientists explained this to me one time. The water in the world, it's been all over the place, right? You see a cloud and, oh, there's a water up there. But that water, it's not just like, you know, North Carolina cloud. That water's only been in North Carolina, probably just Mecklenburg County. It's a Mecklenburg County cloud. It's the only place that water evaporated from here. It's in that cloud. It's raining on us today. That water has been all over the world. Isn't that interesting? All water out of every well, out of every ocean, out of every stream, every cloud, every rainbow that you see. That water's been all over the place. It connects all of us. We're all connected. It's God's gift of water. It's why we baptize children. They largely are composed of water. They lived in the mother's womb, which is largely water. They need to drink water. They need water to wash. It's God's gift of water. Anything God invites us, every time it rains, I'm kind of a whiner when it rains. It's like, oh gosh, it's raining. People won't come to church. I'm going to get wet. I do that. Very mature spiritually, aren't I? (laughs) On my better days, when it rains, I think, what a gift of God. What did the prophet Isaiah say? The the, the rain does not fall down without watering the earth and producing life. In the same way, God's word does not come down without doing its work in us. Like when it rains, when I turn on the spigot and wash my hands when I step into the shower, when I'm thirsty. Kind of think about the great gift of God and how connected we all are because all the water on earth is one. (laughs) It's always one. Julian of Norwich, uh, the great medieval saint, wrote this, Jesus will be thirsty until the last soul is saved and joins him in his bliss. His thirst is to have us drawn into him. I think it's in one of those beer ads. Be thirsty, my friends. Let us go to God in prayer. Beloved and gracious God, we gather in your house to worship and praise you this day. We gather in your house because we thirst for the living water. We trust in your love for the world and for us. In you, we encounter hope that persists through all things for all people. So enable each of us to hear your calling in our lives to grow into a person who humbly discern what to do in the light of your will and your desire for us to be the instrument of witnessing to the living water for all your people who thirst. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May your grace be made real in us, and may that grace persevere in all circumstances. We desire to love ourselves and our neighbors as you love us, but we do often fail. We do not see our neighbors as you see them, and we are often absent from the very places you would visit 
So guide our steps so that we can inhabit the space that you did and encounter the people you met. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Despite your love and your goodness, your world and your children, uh, we continue to face pain, suffering in our homes, in our city, in our nation, all over the world. You know these things even better than we do. May we pray and act as one people to bring about healing, justice, goodness for our neighbors and strangers near and far. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And God, we take time. We take time to lift up and remember our friends who finished their course in faith and rest from their labor. We especially lift up the families of Jerome Johnson, the family and friends, those who grieve. Be gracious unto them, O God, and in due time, mend their broken hearts. Heal them. Heal us. O oh God, because we will always trust in your loving presence, presence that heals, presence that redeems, we're able to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray in one voice. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As always, we are reminded of God's continuous goodness as we receive our thanksgiving. As the ushers come forward, we give thanks for you. Um, as God's goodness continues to guide all that we do in our church, it is through our collective generosity that we are able to do the ministries of our church, especially in this Lent season. And forgive, we give thanks. Let us receive our morning tithes and offerings.
God, we offer our gifts in thanksgiving for all the goodness you provide. Bless these gifts in our lives so that we become a source of goodness for others. In the name of Christ, our strength and our hope. Amen.
grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.